gonna tell you the truth. It's the honest marketer. Sincere, legit, and never fake. So now let's all raise the roof. It's the honest marketer. A real podcast from Funnel Cake. Who are you and uh, what do you do? All right, uh, my name's Steve Kryzak. I'm a client lead at a startup called Five Crowd. Previously, I had been working in uh, higher education marketing and recruitment um, at Ontario University and then in the kind of private sector consulting world for a few uh, Canadian institutions. As you mentioned, you previously worked at a university with a pretty strong brand, but all the work you did, you tried to deviate as much as you could to fit your buyer. How did you figure out that the uh, brand messaging there wasn't working? Yeah, I think it came down to uh, the, the brand of the university was really uh, really strong and really clear uh, with certain types of high school students that we were primarily targeting, but the students that we needed to be connecting with um, were in kind of other fields. So we realized we had to build a case for our programs um, to those students specifically and leverage what the kind of larger institution was doing um, to build that brand and build uh, their kind of recruitment presence, but kind of carve out our own space in that world. So um, once we had a few successes in that area, we really saw that that was a way to move forward and definitely always leveraging the kind of central university brand, but definitely making sure that they knew that our area was really strong too. And what were some of the biggest obstacles in getting approval to do that? It's always tough when you want to kind of go off the, the, the main central strategy, especially when you're dealing with a, a very large institution that's uh, really well known. Um, I think we were able to build a lot of trust with our, our colleagues and show them real results um, when it's coming to, like, what basically comes down to a sales process of getting someone to commit to coming to the, an institution. Um, you can show real data and how many students you're recruiting through the application cycle and through the uh, confirmation cycle. And once you start showing those numbers and showing that what you're doing is working, you, you gain a lot more of that trust and you're able to do a lot more. So we did a lot of small pilot programs with individual programs, small groups of students, um, different segments within our, our programs as well. And being able to show success with that really helped us leverage that trust into the bigger kind of programs we were doing. And how did you manage sort of the internal decision making process as you're trying to run a pilot and share the results back? Yeah, I think it was along those same lines. We, we really focused on the champions we had. So there were some stakeholders where we knew we could go to them with an idea and, and they would be gun-ho for it. They were um, a lot more, uh, not easier to work with, but um, definitely more open to new ideas and new ways of doing things. And um, once we had the kind of case built from those programs, we could then take that to other areas and say, look at what we've done. Um, we have a similar thing we want to do with you. Let's run with it. And because they had kind of seen the results of it, we were able to move forward with it. So really identifying those internal champions. And if that happens either in the office or the beer after work or something like that, um, you just kind of make those relationships happen and then move forward with them. Right. So, so you're trying to kind of build one evangelist to a pilot project and turn that into yeah. more. Exactly, yeah, because uh, some of the things we were doing, we needed some of those kind of quick wins. So rather than uh, put a lot of that energy into working with someone who maybe wasn't too keen to try a new marketing platform or um, kind of push through a, a new way of telling their, their program story, um, we were working with areas that really were keen to try new things and had a real motivation to kind of improve what they were doing um, and then kind of take that as a case to other areas that um, needed a little bit more convincing and they could kind of help build that case internally as well. 
And did you have to kind of push things through at times and ask for forgiveness instead of permission? I think so. There are definitely some things where you, you might leave a few things out of the plan, but um, I think there there was a lot of trust inherent with uh, those projects. So they once you have a proven track record within the organization, once you um, have uh, kind of those people kind of in senior leadership who understand what you're doing and understand your process, you're kind of left to show the results and kind of skim over some of the ways you might get there um, because there is that level of trust that you're representing the organization and the brand in, in the right way. You have that backup that if something does go wrong, they're going to have your back as well and not just kind of leave you hanging. Right. And you mentioned marketing to students is uh, really like a sales process. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds a lot like B2B marketing uh, because you have your parents and schools influencing the decision, you have your actual students making the decision, and it's a pretty long sales process. So what can uh, B2B marketers learn from uh, your experience there? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it is it is a very similar experience for sure. Like you said, it's, it, it's a really long sales process. It can start with, for instance, a high school student all the way in grade nine, grade 10. Um, some universities are tracking that early and trying to get contact information and building out different campaigns around that. Students are starting to consider things more seriously once they get into grade 11 and then really seriously once they get into grade 12 and apply and go through that process. I think the lessons to be learned is there's a big advantage to um, institutions that identify the student as a a person and kind of really make the effort to get to know those students. And and whether you're doing that through really granular segmentation or you have boots on the ground who are doing face-to-face meetings, I see a lot of B2B organizations that really will try to lump everyone into one big group and not really put the effort into fostering and nurturing those leads. Um, and that's something that in higher education you really have to do because those students want to feel like they're being attended to. They want to feel like someone is really taking an interest in them. I and mean, building that trust for them to make a pretty big decision in their lives is uh, something that needs to happen before they're willing to kind of jump into that decision. And, and so you're marketing to kind of different generations at the same time. So how are you balancing... Uh, the different ways you're reaching those people and building those personas. Yeah, it's it's a, a kind of constant conversation in a lot of higher education is like how do you talk to that parent versus that student versus the, the high school teacher, the guidance counselor. There's a lot of different kind of influencers that are taking part of the process and I know a lot of institutions struggle with even just finding the resources to do that. So I think it's being able to make sure that your your materials, your what you're putting into the world is relevant to your primary audience, which is always that student, but does take into account the needs of those other influencers. So um, a lot of higher ed institutions are in a position where they don't have the resources to have a specific person on their team um, that's focused on parent communications um, and really understands that thoroughly. Um, or that's uh, you have more institutions that'll have people specific to guidance counselors and high school teachers and people in that process. But it's more about just kind of being constantly aware of those um, people and then not ignoring that when you're doing research because at the heart of all this is a lot of research that tells you what students are perceiving about your institution how they're making their decisions and balancing that from the student perspective but also from the parents perspective is really important because there's trends that pop up every couple years and will keep changing so you have to really make sure you're on top of that um, what those kind of influencers are thinking about and how they're perceiving your institution. It sounds like the levels of sort of persona building and segmentation get pretty deep. They can, yeah. It's really easy to get lost in a lot of that, I think. And sometimes you do just kind of take a step back and really prioritize things. But the more of that you can do um, specifically for if you're at an institution that has direct entry programs, for instance, or you have very specific qualities or, or traits in, that you see in your students and that you're trying to go after for specialty programs, it's really easy to... to kind of go in, down a pretty deep hole with that sort of thing. 
yeah, and, and a lot of it comes back to kind of constantly being doing do research on your your applicant pool, the people who are talking to you and not engaging, people who are engaging and going all the way through the process, and kind of balancing that with your plan every year. How frequently and what process do you go through to reevaluate those? Mm-hmm. Kind of like the sales, mm-hmm. are you checking the success criteria of the applicants and the graduation rates, and yeah. mapping that back to the personas who you thought about a couple of years prior? Yeah, I think in, an, in the ideal world, you would have access to a, a CRM that would allow you to track a student from their first interaction in grade 10 to their five years out and what are they doing now, and then build profiles on kind of what looks like a successful student, what maybe looks like a student who would, wouldn't be as successful, and then you save a lot of time and energy and retention and everything else. Um, that ideal situation doesn't really happen anywhere because of uh, just it's a lot of time and energy to invest um, when you're trying to build classrooms rooms and everything else at the same time but um, I think that you can do a lot of gut checks along the way and really see uh, it's it's not hard to pull together a, a group of 10 students who just started class in September and um, ask them how uh, they felt about things it's not hard to pick up the phone in the summer and call 50 students and, and talk to them about the materials they were sent or um, how they felt about the events they attended that sort of thing the more of that that you can do and kind of build into your process uh, the better I know uh, colleagues who regularly meet every few weeks for a dinner with students just to kind of see how they're using Instagram now and see how they're using um, email and, and how things are hitting home with them that they're getting. So yeah. it, it, It's just funny how much research you do on the students, but you look mm-hmm. at B2B marketing teams and they're, they build their buyer persona once and then they never yeah. go talk to another marketer again yeah, or another and, prospect again. Yeah, and you, you can't do that in uh, higher because it, it just changes so much. I, I talked to a lot of people about how to use different apps that students are using to kind of reach them. And you look at something like Instagram, that when it came out, is being used completely different by a 15 or 16 year old um, user now than what it was six months ago, a year ago, two years ago. And then you look at what a 25 year old user is using Instagram for, and it's completely different. So um, you have re- you really have to stay on top of that when you're focusing on digital marketing specifically. But even the, the perceptions of how student looks at their influencers, how they look at their parents, that role has changed a lot in the last couple years and if you're not kind of out there and talking to people and really understanding that then it's it's a struggle and there's and from a kind of related back to the b2b sales side, like if you're not connecting with your sales staff that are on the ground about these things then that's an easy way to kind of get that information without actually going out into the world but there's a lot of uh, a lot of that research that needs to be done to kind of keep on top of things yeah so how much does sort of progressive media like using instagram uh, play into marketing strategies? I think it's something you need to be aware of constantly. I think there's a, a rush for people to jump on these things when they come out, like Peach, for instance, <laughs> like that. that's a big buzz right now. And I think outside of a lot of people who work in tech media, it's not really that applicable to a lot of things. Yeah, um, we don't have a funnel cake Peach. Yeah, <laughs> should get the name at least. Everyone wants to get the name. But uh, I think that you need to understand these technologies, you need to understand how they're actually being used by your demographic, and then you need to align them to the same way you would align, like, are we going to purchase a bunch of bus ads, are we going to do radio spots, are we going to do events, and it, like, you have to put it into your marketing mix, right? So right. maybe Instagram isn't for everyone, maybe a Snapchat account isn't for everyone, but maybe you have a, a problem you're trying to solve and you need some tactics to do that, and Snapchat will align with that, or whatever the next big kind of social media craze is will align with that. I've had really big successes with doing, like, really targeted direct mail campaigns and I have colleagues who would say that direct mail is kind of dead for 17 year olds and I think that uh, you just have to kind of have all those tools in your toolkit and then you kind of evaluate them on case by case for the different um, strategies you're trying to implement. 
How do you evaluate those if you don't even understand the tools? Yeah, and that's that's a tough thing that um, when it's doing like as a kind of consultant with, in higher ed, deal with a lot where people are just kind of lost and they don't have the time or energy to really understand them better. And um, I think it, it really comes down to the the marketer really trying to put themselves in those shoes. And if your iPhone isn't filled with all these apps and you're not trying to kind of immerse yourself in them, um, you need to kind of evaluate if that's what you should be doing because you'll have a better understanding if you're using them, if you're engaging in them, if you kind of see how they're organically being used by the community. Um, there's tons of courses and things like that. Some of them are maybe not so great. Others are pretty great. But I think the best thing you can be doing is be using them yourself and, and be seeing what advertisers are using them. Like Instagram launching ads has been really interesting to see um, what some really big brands are using that for and how that can be applied to kind of smaller communities. Uh, emoji and memes mm -hmm. uh, being hugely prevalent in advertising now. Uh, there was the big thing with Taco Bell mm -hmm. uh, that worked out really well. And uh, there's kind of like the Drake effect that mm -hmm. everyone's trying to take advantage of. So how do you get involved in that? How do you yeah. think that way? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really fine line. And you... I think you need a balance of trust in your team to really like implement things quickly and be responsive because the whole point of that of those things is you need to get out um, at the right time. But you also need to know where your place is. So like two examples that come to mind that I think contrast that are like during uh, the Jays run with the bat flip, you had a tweet from the Maple Leafs saying like, oh, like you can come get your bat off our roof anytime, which was like really perfect, perfect tweet, perfect timing. Everything was great about it and like really aligned well to Toronto sports teams just kind of congratulating each other. And then um, with like uh, David Bowie passing away recently, you had Crocs tweet out a, uh, a, a something saying to the effect of like we're like the world loses another something like that and a picture of crocs with uh the ziggy stardust symbol over top of it and that was removed within an hour because of like the backlash for that so yeah i think there's places you you need to know kind of what your place is who your demographic is and kind of what they align with and if it is the right time to kind of reach into what's happening culturally or if you should just kind of step back Another great example of that was after the Supreme Court's ruling on gay marriage in the States, a lot of brands changing their avatars and then ch having really serious discussions on when to change them back or if they yeah. should change them back, uh, which I think was fascinating because there were like probably boardrooms of communications professionals debating like what the message would send if they changed back after three days or five days or ten days. <laughs> I remember that. Okay. Yeah, and I think that uh, there's it's a lot more complicated, but um, you just kind of need to trust your team and, and really understand understand who your your buyers are who your, your stakeholders are in that situation and if it's going to resonate with them yeah how do you build trust with the higher-ups that uh you're not going to go ruin the brand with some errant tweet yeah uh, up there yeah and i think that the supreme court uh facebook profile thing was a, a good example of that of a lot of brands trying to discuss like have that discussion in their organization if that's something they wanted to align themselves with or not um, and, and making kind of a, a big stand again with some other consumers i think it, it really goes back to proving that track record and having a senior team that really understands um, what marketing is today and what it was 10, 15, 20 years ago and how that has changed with um, kind of this crazy cycle of digital marketing and how what we're talking about today might not be relevant five months from now. <laughs> yeah. That They really have to put the trust in their team and equip their team with the right tools to better be able to respond to those things and understand those things. So I don't think there's a, a clear answer. And I know there's teams out there that do it really well and teams that do it not so well. Um, but I, I think it just comes down to, yeah, really build, building that level of trust on your team.
empowerment. Uh, some of the stuff people are doing in that rapid communication in digital marketing is uh, photography and video. Mm -hmm. And you did a lot of that at uh, the university. How did you get into that and where can people start to learn how to do some in-house media production? Yeah, and it's, uh, it's something that can go really well when it goes well and, and go not so well when it doesn't. But um, there's a lot of content that's needed in today's digital marketing world and, and it's very expensive to get it done properly and to um, put the time and energy into getting it done properly. But then the cost if you're hiring freelancers or if you're hiring um, even internal staff with those competencies, um, equipping them properly. I know some institutions that have built out entire production teams that have won like commercial Emmys, for instance, um, because of the work, the high caliber of work they do. I mean, that's an investment they decided to make. But I think starting to see um, what your your kind of key demographics that you're looking at, what's resonated with them. So from my perspective, I'm working with 16, 17, 18 year olds, this multimedia content is really hitting home for them. And so we knew that the investment had to be made in that. I think uh, if you have team members that really want to equip themselves, there are a lot of courses you can get, like a lot of colleges host um, one-off courses, a lot of even um, commercial businesses host courses where you can go and improve your skills. You can pick up gear, you can start shooting, you can see what resonates, and then you can look at your community too. One of the one of my favorite projects that we worked on was hiring some students who had large Instagram follower or followings and were doing some really cool things and hiring them to do editorial content for us and being able to kind of empower them to, to promote their story a little bit further. Um, there's a, a lot of great content being generated in these communities and if you can kind of harness that in a really authentic way that doesn't seem a little kind of off base, yeah. there, there's something really big to be gained there and you can kind of almost farm out that work uh, to your community itself. Last question. Uh, I have no idea who you're going to answer this one. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite 90s dance song? 90s dance song. I have, I still have a cassette of Much Music Dance Mix 95. And like from front to back, that cassette is like the best dance mix That's ever, ever created. Yeah. And I yeah. still have it. Like I don't have anything to play it on. <laughs> I guess like every now and then maybe I'll get a rental car that has a cassette player in it. But uh I will always keep that just in case. And I think somewhere I have like a digital copy of like just of like hour and 20 minute long mix of that. But it's still the greatest. <laughs>